Hey, cashiers. We Have the Receipts podcast is coming at you live from Netflix is a Joke Fest in Los Angeles. Chris, are you kidding? No, Netflix is a joke, Courtney, but this is not one of them. Our listeners in LA have the chance to join us for a live recording of our podcast, We Have the Receipts, hosted by me, Chris Burns. And me, Courtney Revolution. Join us and a few surprise guests from your favorite Netflix reality shows on Saturday, May 4th at 1 p.m. at a secret location in Hollywood. To be announced. Get your tickets for the We Have the Receipts live show at todoom.com slash W-H-T-R. That's todoom, T-U-D-U-M dot com slash W-H-T-R. Tickets are limited. If you can't make it to the show, we still want to hear your beautiful voice. Leave us a message at speakpipe.com slash We Have the Receipts. You may even hear your own voice on the show. Grab a ticket at todoom.com slash W-H-T-R. And we'll see you on May 4th in Los Angeles. Bye, cashiers. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at the Netflix documentary film, Pamela, A Love Story. I'm not a victim. I put myself in crazy situations and <laughs> survived them. Today, we're talking to director Ryan White and producer Jessica Hargrave. There was no bigger sex symbol in the 1990s than Pamela Anderson. From Playboy Centerfold to sun-soaked TV lifeguard to that stolen videotape of her and her husband Tommy Lee, Pamela was always associated with beauty and sensuality. But she was objectified and easily dismissed by a lascivious press corps, more interested in her physique than her talent. Pamela, A Love Story is an intimate portrait of one of the world's most famous blonde bombshells. It reveals a doting mother, a passionate activist, and a hopeless romantic. And just as she settles into the quiet life of her old hometown, Pamela is offered the opportunity for a comeback. As much pain as we can endure in our lives is kind of like the catalyst to all the great stuff, like poetry, music, art. I'm grateful for all the experiences I had, and I don't blame anybody for anything. I'm glad it happened. I'm joined now by director Ryan White and producer Jessica Hargrave. Welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So Pamela Anderson is seen as this iconic figure, but historically maybe not necessarily one that people took very seriously. And Ryan, I'm curious, why did you want to tell her story in this way? So Jess and I are actually best friends since we were little kids. So we are both born in 1981. And so that means mathematically that Pamela Anderson is like the most famous person in the world to us. As we were coming of age and teenagers and in our young 20s, she was, you know, our Kardashian or our Marilyn Monroe. And so she was someone that was, as you said, larger than life, this this over-the-top figure that we had grown up with. But we hadn't thought about her in a couple decades. And a few years ago, we got a phone call um, from our executive producer, Josh Braun. Um, and he said, I have something really great 
for you guys. Let's talk about it. So we jumped on the phone with him and he said that he had gotten access to Pamela Anderson through our producer, Julia Nottingham, who has a company in London. And he said, what do you think about a Pamela Anderson doc? And I remember saying like, that is a great documentary subject because I'm convinced at some point we're going to run out of great celebrities. But the fact that Pamela's story had not been told, I knew would make for a great documentary. But I remember saying like, it's probably not for us though. Like I didn't even know Pamela was Canadian at the beginning of this. I just assumed because (laughs) she was the symbol of American sexuality that she was a California beach babe. And you know, that that's where she was. That's where she was born in Malibu. And the idea that this woman was not only Canadian, but had returned to her Canadian roots and left fame and fortune behind and everything he told us about her personality. It just was very surprising. And so the next day I was in my kitchen and Pamela Anderson popped up in a little box, um, from her farmhouse in Ladysmith, Canada. I've always come home when I have some kind of trouble going on and I always kind of know what I'm doing when I leave. It's like the truth serum. You sit in the middle of that field, you look at the stars, and everything comes to you. And from the moment she popped up, I was just shocked because I realized how much I had misunderstood her and all of my preconceived notions sort of dissipated during that two or three hour long conversation. And one of the things that compelled me the most about her in that conversation is that she was not interested in the documentary at all. None of that conversation mm. was about what the process would be or what what I wanted the takeaway from the documentary to be or how I was going to shoot it. It was just a personal conversation where she asked me questions about my life and I asked her questions about her life and went on for hours. And I remember thinking, wow, this woman is so much different than what I expected. If we could just bottle this up, this Zoom conversation and translate that to an audience in a documentary, I think it's going to surprise the hell out of people to meet the real Pamela Anderson and so that that's the genesis. Well, it surprised me. And I'm wondering um, if you think, Jessica, when viewers meet, um, I mean, people who listen to this podcast have likely seen the documentary. But do you think when you were making it that when viewers meet Pamela and she's not wearing foundation and she has a face full of freckles, her hair isn't styled, she's wearing these simple drapey clothes. I mean, she's very attractive, but she looks like age-appropriate mom that you might run into, you know, at the local farmer's market. Did you think viewers would be surprised that she is not presenting herself as this 90s glamazon that we have always known? Absolutely. And I think that's the appeal of the doc to us. Like if she were what we had all had in our heads about her, that's not that interesting a story, right? Everyone had formed some opinion of what they thought she was, but nobody had really gotten to know her. And I was intimidated at first. You know, as Ryan said, we've been best friends since we're little kids and Ryan gets along with everybody. And I am like a little bit more awkward and you can drop me in like a small town somewhere and I'm going to get along with most people I meet. But I was nervous about meeting this woman, this larger than life figure. And even just personally for me and everyone else who was on our crew on that shoot, which is just a couple of people. And uh, each time we did a shoot, we only had a couple of people, but all of us would say, wow, I just really connect with her. I just feel this warmth from her that I wasn't expecting and this depth and all of these layers. And so for all of us, we learned so much about her um, through getting to know her. And that's what we wanted to convey, as Ryan said in the film. So Ryan, just to give a shout out, I know that uh, The Keepers is another film of yours. It's one of my favorite all-time true crime documentaries. I think it belongs in the pantheon uh, in that genre. It's a very, very different kind of story. 
story. One thing it does have in common with this story, though, is the thread of childhood sexual abuse. And Pamela is so unbelievably frank about everything that happened to her as a kid. And I'm wondering how you think about approaching those kind of conversations with a subject that you're sitting down and talking with, especially with someone like Pamela, who really is just so unafraid of talking about it. And we were thinking about how the audience is going to receive it. Like, how do you think about it? So in that first Zoom conversation I I had with Pamela, she had actually just watched The Keepers. And I think, you know, we weren't explicitly talking about sexual trauma on that first, in that first conversation, but I could tell that she felt a kinship with those women. And I think that went a long way into her feeling a safety um, and working with us as a film team that it was going to be treated with a lot of care, those parts of her life. And, you know, my biggest job as a documentary director, I would say the first and foremost is establishing trust with your subject. And I would love to pump up this huge story about how I spent months winning the trust of Pamela Anderson through my charm and candor. But the fact is Pamela Anderson is an incredibly trusting and vulnerable person by nature. And I would say, I promise you this is going to be something that's just very raw and honest. And that goes from the conversations that we have during this film all the way to the the looks. We use no lights in this film, Pamela often more, no makeup. And we wanted to make something really bare bones. And, you know, I think she's lived her life where honesty has always been the guiding star. And so she felt like even the worst moments from her life, and I know now that they're coming out, um, you know, in a documentary and the memoir that Pamela wrote, it's resurfacing a lot of this pain that came into her life and a lot of the pain caused by people around her. But Pamela would often say, you know, I just have to be honest, like I have to be true to myself. And so That to me is my favorite part of making this film was getting to work with someone who we thought was larger than life. And she is a legend and she is an icon, but someone who is so frank and raw and honest with who they are. She's unapologetically Pamela. Yeah. And she has this incredible sense of wonder about everything she experiences in her life. And, you know, one of the things that really surprised me, Jessica, and I'm wondering um, how you felt about this when you first you know, maybe saw it and and heard her talking about it is there's footage of her first Playboy shoot. As she's talking about it, we get to actually see it. Photo shoot. Shy at first. By end of the week, you had to stop me from running out the door naked. To the side. Am I doing this right? I could kind of see myself from the camera's perspective in my head. Once I got it, I had a blast. And she talks about how she had felt all of this shame and sexual repression because of what had happened to her as a kid. And that when that shoot was happening, she felt herself breaking free. And you actually Mm -hmm. see it. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of women who have posed for Playboy have complicated feelings about the brand and their experience. And Pamela's feelings are not complicated. She has very, very clear feelings. Did that surprise you to to hear her talking about it and then to be actually able to see it for yourself? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting to me that someone like Pamela would ever use the word shy to describe herself. But she does. And she is in some ways, but only in some ways And that she's like everyone. She's complicated. There's different layers to her. And she has a different way of dealing 
with her own past experience than other people might. But this was the way that she was able, as you said, to break free. She felt confined by her experiences. She felt limited by them. And then having this opportunity that was honestly presented to her, you know, it fell in her lap in a way that a lot of people would be surprised to hear. She really, she's all in. Pamela Anderson is all in. And so once she was given that opportunity, she went for it. And she talks in the film and has talked with us about when her experiences happened when she was a kid, she would kind of float away, you know? She would sort of um, take herself out of the situation into another one. And it's interesting because that's what she did in that shoot too. And you can see it playing another character. Like she's like, I'm going to be the person who can be comfortable in this room. And here I go. You also see, by the way, I will just make the observation. She's an exceptionally talented person. I mean, her relationship with the camera is extraordinary in that first shoot. Her relationship uh, just with the world, it's it's riveting. I mean, she is not Mm. a, you know, vacant, beautiful person who had to learn to be talented. She has a natural ability, I think, that really, really comes across. Ryan, speaking of the freedom and candor, um, you got what I think must have been a filmmaker's like gift from heaven in Pamela giving you access to all of her written material. I cannot imagine being a storyteller and getting this treasure trove. And you asked her if she'd be willing to narrate them. And she said no. And I love that you included that in the film. Since you've given us your journals, I was wondering, are you open to reading them in the film? Or what are you thinking about that? I don't know if I want to go there and read them. I don't even think I'll watch this documentary. I mean, I just don't, I like to do things just for the experience of doing it. I want to move on with the next part of my life. So it might give you more access if you have somebody else read them because I might say, no, I don't want to read this. I don't want to read that. So it's just like, you can, you have my permission. You know, she feared that if she read some things, then maybe she'd want you to cut them. Was that her way of saying like, I want you to have the freedom to tell my story and just go, just go, go, go. We kept that part in the film because we felt like it was important to acknowledge where we did peel back the curtain with her. And that actually wasn't until the very end of the filmmaking process where Pamela and I had that conversation. And by that point, we had read every diary that Pamela (laughs) Pamela Anderson had ever written in her entire life. In fact, there were so many that we had to rent a cargo van um, in Lady Smith, in Lady Smith, Canada, and Dominique Hesserd Owens, our associate producer, she and her husband drove that cargo van full of diaries and and tapes all the way back to Los Angeles because you can't you can't FedEx uh, Pamela Anderson's personal diaries. Uh, <laughs> but we felt a huge responsibility in how we selected those and understanding that Pamela was so trusting and handing all of that over to us because even she didn't know what existed in that. She's never watched any of those tapes minus the ones that she popped into the TV we picked up at the pawn shop while we were there. And she, she popped in a few and watched them and then she never wanted to do that again on future shoots. It had been too emotional for her. And then of course she can't be expected to remember every inner thought that she ever wrote down in a diary from her entire life. And You know, Pamela says her entire life was sitting in bubble baths, writing on yellow legal pads at the end of the day and reflecting on her day and what's going on. And so it's it's almost insane how vulnerable that is to hand that over to a film crew. So we we felt an extreme responsibility not to um, abuse that trust, both in the the video archive, but also uh, with her diaries. But my my vision in my head was always that she would read them. And so when we had that conversation on camera, um, I think it was twofold. Pamela first acknowledged that 
this would be too painful and triggering for her to relive moments that she doesn't even remember, perhaps, in front of a camera. And that's understandable. And you never want to push your subject to a moment where they could be triggered. So that that alone was enough when she said that for me to think maybe I had a bad idea. But then she's also very generous in a caretaker way. She's very maternal in that way, where I was she, I think she was thinking from my point of view and said, it would also be really annoying for you, Ryan, if you peel back the curtain so much that I'm aware of how you're using things and I start wondering and therefore maybe start spinning. So Pamela is very self-aware. I know her very well at this point. And who are we to challenge that? She was right. <laughs> it's really interesting to me how Pamela is so open and so maternal and she's almost taking care of you when when she does that. Uh, but at the same time, she is in some ways does in the in the moment like set boundaries. You see her do it with you. You actually see her do it too in some of these older interviews, which are so difficult to watch. And mm. Jessica, like you would have thought she invented the breast implant um, <laughs> in a lot of these old interviews. Have you ever had work done? Why, yes, these are implants. Larry. Oh, they are? <laughs> no, are they or aren't they? Yes, they are. It was disturbing because it was like, oh my God, really? Is this what we're talking about again? But you roll with it. I can't say I was surprised by the shamelessness of the exploitation, but I was shocked by the constancy of it, even when in the moment she would basically give the cue to like knock it off. What did you think watching those endless scenes of her doing that and continually being barraged with these breast questions. It's interesting to watch her face, especially as you get to know her, because she smiles, right? And I think in general, she smiles in a response. But you, as we got to know her more, you can see that hint of discomfort. You can see that hint of, I'm tired of this. But she's also always trying to just say, like, I got to get past it. I got to get past it. And that's, you know, the psychology of Pamela Anderson in some ways. Again, it's just like, okay, I'm going to take myself out of this and I'm going to get myself through it. Um, But you're right, it's not surprising. But at the same time, it is surprising. And like, how much is there possibly to say about it, right? Like, why do we keep talking about it? And yet it came up over and over. Because in addition, of course, to all of the personal archival that she gave us, there's so much of that, that career archival to go through. So we watched tons of interviews with her and almost every one, you know, it would come up in some, some way subtler, as you saw, not very subtle. Ryan, I don't remember much archival footage in The Keepers. I know there were, I remember there being a lot of recreations as people told their stories. But um, as Jessica said, you have decades of Pamela in photos and on film. So that's in addition to all of these diaries. Um, How long did it take to go through all of this material? Well, we had a great team of editors and assistant editors and people under Jess on our producing team who watched down every single minute of this footage. And that took probably a year, that process of watching down, logging the footage, editing it. And, you know, not all of it is exciting. You know, something that Pamela might find incredibly exciting, like watching Brandon play as a three-year-old for three hours. We would just have to sit there (laughs) and watch with her because she was delighted. And something that might be of interesting Uh, might be of interest to us, might be something that Pamela wanted to press stop on right away. So we had to bring it all back uh, to Los Angeles and watch it down. And there was like a really interesting rule of thumb, I think, in the edit room when you talk about 
the responsibility of inheriting this archive that that literally had been robbed from. It's probably the most valuable theft of a family archive that has ever happened. Tommy went to get something out of the safe and then he came up and goes, okay, this is a joke, right? Like who, where'd you put the safe? And he was looking at my assistant, John Roberts at the time. And John was like, what are you crazy? I have no idea. And then we went down there and it was gone. Suddenly we had every single tape, which was hundreds that had not been stolen in that one incident we were looking at in our film. So our sort of, Rule of thumb was if you ever found those moments of intimacy or nudity, that we were not going to include those in our film. We were also not going to include any of the nudity or sex from the sex tape. But like you asked Jess earlier, there is a lot of nudity in the Playboy sections or moments in Pamela's life where she was where she feels like nudity or taking her sexuality back was empowering. Um, And so. You know, I hope that not only will Pamela surprise the hell out of people in this film, I think Tommy will as well, because I think it humanizes him in a way that we rarely get to see both of them are caricatures in pop culture. And we have the public have done that. The media have done that. And when you get to watch the day to day interactions of this rock star couple falling in love or getting pregnant for the first time, losing a baby having another baby, going through a stolen tape. I think it will humanize this mega, mega star couple in a way that I don't, that couldn't have happened if they didn't have a handy cam. If it hadn't been, if it hadn't been the gadget of the 90s that only the rich people could afford and Pamela was holding it at times and Tommy was holding it at times. It allows you this intimacy that's way more than I think watching a newlywed couple have sex on a boat. It allows like an emotional intimacy that hopefully adds a really, really rich layer to this documentary. Absolutely. And of course, the most significant relationship in Pamela's life was with Tommy Lee and getting that very complex and nuanced view of what I think could easily be written off as a tumultuous, you know, relationship that ended with a violent incident. It is obviously so much more complicated than that, especially for Pamela. And, um, you know, Jessica, I think it's really easy for the casual viewer to say, you know, she's clearly whitewashing the marriage a little bit because, you know, she's talking about how wonderful it was at the beginning, but we know how it ended. But she's not because she goes back and she talks about the red flags. I've romanticized the past. So, I mean, now that we're talking about a little bit, I can remember some things that were really big red flags. But if I didn't think about it too much, I would think our relationship was perfect. And I'm wondering about how the decisions were made about framing that, because obviously she knows it's complicated, but she's also talking about how deeply she loves him and how happy so much of the time they spent together was. Like, Were you thinking about that as you were putting all these sequences together? I mean, I think the key was to let Pamela frame it, right? And to try to take a step back and not let it be what we're projecting onto it. Let it be what she's saying about it. I mean, the voicemail that's included in the film that she left Ryan was unsolicited. You know, she just wanted to share her thoughts with Ryan and wanted to say what she what she was going through in that moment. I think what it all comes down to is that I never got over not being able to make it work with the father of my kids. And even though I thought I could recreate a family or fall in love with somebody else, it's just not me. 
And it evolves. Of course it does, right? It evolves in the film, what she's thinking about him, what she's thinking about herself. And so we thought it was important to include all of that. And of course, the relationship with her sons plays a big part in that, which was very interesting for me to see as a mother, because I was curious what sort of mother she would be. And that her kids are the most important thing in her life, you know, and Tommy will always be a part of that. And she always will acknowledge that. It was very interesting for me to watch her sons talk about her and talk about the decisions that she's made and how it's impacted their lives and and like the course of her life. And it was interesting to me to think about, you know, Brandon being a part of this project and how his the world would see his own mother and see the relationship between his parents and see the sex tape narrative. And, you know, Ryan, it's interesting to me because she's obviously still extremely wounded by the stolen sex tape and what happened afterward. And she says, um, you know, she points out that after her rape as a child, you know, her fear was that everyone was going to see this like mark on her and know that she had sex. And she said that the tape incident was like that fear had come to life in some way. And I'm wondering if that just added even like another layer of context for you. It's like a whole new kind of like violation. Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, this is a story about uh, sexual trauma um, and how that can have ripple effects throughout your life. And I don't even know if I knew when I began this film that this was a stolen tape. I think that narrative was out there, but I can't even remember how familiar I was with that. I hope there's a value in this film of watching Pamela Anderson break it down for you in a way that perhaps blows up whatever our preconceived notions of this was. We never made a dime off that. And I hate when people say that we settled on something. We never settled on anything. We just told everyone to get lost. If anyone watches it, if anyone buys it, if anyone sells it, it's just pathetic. These days we live in a world where Uh, Sex tapes are often presumed to be leaked and they often make the career of a celebrity. And I think Pamela, because she was famous as a sex symbol, people just assume that she was a part of that narrative. And people also assume, and I was probably guilty of this, well, what's the big deal? You're already famous for sex in your body. Even if it was stolen, what's the big deal? And I think, I hope, by watching her life story and you watch this trauma that she went through in her in her childhood and young adulthood and that felt, felt like she had finally taken that back, that she had ownership of her own sexuality through Playboy, through Baywatch, through getting to make these decisions on her own and how this tape being stolen from them Um, really pulled the rug out from under her and robbed her again of that sexual agency. Um, And so I think that's why we include the the Hulu series coming out later is because I think people don't understand how that could re-traumatize her in the way that it did. And so I hope by, uh, by allowing us to film those moments in the film, the vulnerability she showed and allowing us to film those moments, I hope it'll it'll humanize um, what happened to her, um, not only in the stolen tape, but the re-traumatization that happened when the entire country was talking about it again last year in a way that that wouldn't have happened if she hadn't allowed us to have our cameras around her. She would have only have reflected upon it in an interview. And I think one of the things that I love most about Pamela, and it goes back to what Jess was saying, you, 
you cannot categorize Pamela. She does not live in our modern day world where we live in binaries and you're supposed to have one opinion or the other. You're supposed to fall one side of the political spectrum or another. She is a very complicated person. In many ways, she is a walking contradiction, a seeming contradiction or an anomaly in every way. You never know where she's going to fall on an issue. And that makes her a really interesting character. She she is a true free spirit. And so she lives in this gray area. So I think that's what makes her so fascinating as a character. And really, I know challenged me as a storyteller. And I hope challenges the audience in a way like she's so unpredictable It's just really authentic. So, Jessica, what is clear to me, despite the things that are gray, are the issues of consent that thread through this whole Mm. thing, right? So the lawyers in the case about the tape basically say that because she posed nude in Playboy, basically her body is fair game. um, And that's a consent issue, obviously. And you also talked about that, you know, with the Pam and Tommy Hulu miniseries to some extent. Like, she did not consent to have her story being told in this way. Why is it, do you think, with this woman that this consent issue is just so unclear to people in a way that it is for other celebrities. Right. It's interesting that it feels, I, mean, I, I don't know, on one hand, I feel like it's specific to her, but on the other hand, I'm sure it applies to a lot of people where, I love how she phrases it. She says, you are this thing, this thing that is owned by the world. And I think that that's true. People think, well, we know who you are and we know how to handle you. And this, and we decide, you don't decide. Number one, there's this concept of like, you probably couldn't decide for yourself anyway. Um, so we'll make the decisions for you. But also just this weird ownership of her that I think people feel about her specifically and and extrapolate into all these situations where they shouldn't, including a lawsuit where an item was stolen from her house and sold and she still couldn't get it taken down, which is just shocking. And I hope wouldn't happen today, but of course you do still wonder if it would. But yeah, I think that the line in the sand for her has always been that. On her terms, like if she wants to be in Playboy, she can be in Playboy. If she wants to make a tape with her husband, she can do that too. But they're two very different things. And where they end up should not be the same place. But essentially they were. They were both out in the public and that's absolutely not okay to her. And I think, I don't know, sorry, we always, we've had so many conversations about this. And one of the things that I hope will come out of this film too is those conversations, you know, is that a, a group of friends will watch the movie and then talk about it and talk about why this happened to her. Who else is it happening to? Why do we do this as a society? We talked about it so much and it was so interesting to learn through Pamela and sort of reflect back on our own preconceived notions. So we do really come to feel for Pamela throughout your documentary as someone who's trying to, like, move past all of these things in her life. And, you know, she's settling down in Canada, but then she's feeling a little bit restless. Uh, She gets this offer to star in Chicago on Broadway. And I'm thinking, dear God, this is like an ending that any documentarian would kill for. But at the same time, she's not a singer. She's not a dancer. And I'm like so worried that it's going to go horribly wrong. Ryan, were you so worried that this was going to go horribly wrong and crush her in some way? I think I was more worried than I've been ever in my life about a documentary (laughs) subject. Watching that opening night was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. We were there. Yeah, Yeah. that's the footage. Tell Tell me about that. Yeah. She's fearless. And that's what I love about her. But you also 
once you bonded with her, and I was so endeared to her by that point, it had been a couple years of making this film, you're also very protective of her uh, and that vulnerability that she's willing to show. And so I believed in her, but she had seven weeks to train. Some good stuff, Pamela. How's the feeling? Uh, it feels good. It feels good, but it feels like I'm saying, <laughs> and who says that sex tapes aren't an art? <laughs> Who says that divorce is not an art? (laughs) And I remember saying to her um, as she was preparing when she got the offer, like, but do you sing? No. Like Dylan used to ask me to stop singing nursery rhymes when he was a little boy. Do you dance? Like, no, I was on Dancing with the Stars and I was awful. And like in my head thinking like, how do you think you can figure this out in seven weeks then? But that's, you know, that's Pamela is fearless in those ways. And we learned very early on in the making of this film, like she is unpredictable. Um, And Pamela is not someone to be directed. And I had to learn very early as a director to be very nimble. Um, I can't tell you how many times we would be in Canada and in the morning we would show up at her house and she'd say, what do you want to do today? And I would throw out some ideas and Pamela would say like, that sounds kind of dumb. And (laughs) I would have to say, okay, (laughs) it is kind of dumb. What are you going to do today anyway? Well, I'm going to go to the drugstore, but that's really boring. And it's like, well, I guess. No, my, it's not. My idea is dumb. <laughs> so I'm just going to go with you. And then she ends up in an aisle buying a box of $4.99 hair dye that we didn't know was about to happen. And then the third act of our film got totally blown up by the circumstances. You know, she went through a fifth divorce. The Hulu show came out. We, by, by just by virtue of coming into her life and stirring this all up for a couple years, caused this emotional turmoil in her that maybe even fueled some of that. So it just sort of sort of started this Pamela Anderson tornado that we could see gearing up. Like, I, do, I have no idea what's next. I do not think Pamela is the most ambitious in the person in the world. I don't think she <laughs> really cares, no matter how much this is a renaissance of Pamela this year, that she's going to accumulate or reaccumulate fame or finally make, you know, a shit ton of money. I don't think she cares about that stuff. I think whatever Pamela does for the rest of her life, I'm excited now having cut the cameras to be on the sidelines for that, hopefully as her lifelong friend. And it's going to be totally unpredictable. All I can guarantee is we have no idea what's going to happen for the rest of Pamela Anderson's life. But I just hope instead of being the punchline that people are going to root for her for the rest of her life. And I have a feeling that we as society are starting to make that shift and getting behind uh, Pamela Anderson. And we really saw that start happening at the Chicago opening night. You want to know something? I always wanted my name in the papers. Roxy Rock Chicago! Jessica, how did it feel for you to see Pamela get that curtain call? I mean, I'll say, I read more of the reviews than just the one that you put in the film, and they were pretty much across the board pretty great for Pamela Anderson. Yeah, I mean, I had tears in my eyes. It's like Ryan said, like, we just, like... We're root because you root for Pamela Anderson. Like you sort of alluded to this earlier. Like it's like you you want things to work out for her, and so we were always rooting for her and everything. But this felt so ambitious that we were both really nervous. But we also then watched the process. You know, we started with her in L.A. and filmed her in L.A. We then filmed her in her New York rehearsals, and you were watching things get better and better. And the other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that she does not phone it in. Like she wasn't like, okay, I'll just like half-ass this for the next few weeks and see how it goes. Like she was. Very 
very dedicated. She did every day of rehearsal. She missed no performances. Like everyone there was saying how impressed they were with her work ethic. Like once she decides, again, Pamela Anderson is all in. Once she decides she's going to do something, she's going to do it. And so we were, I, proud is the word that I that comes to mind. I was just so proud of her for having worked so hard and done something that so many people never would have expected. So I have to ask, the title of your documentary is Pamela, A Love Story. What did you want to say with that? I think it has many layers. Uh, I think many people have perceived it, at least now that the film is starting to play, as as the love story of her and Tommy. And of course, that's a huge part of that title, and it's a huge part of our film. And I think what makes our film really special is getting to watch that love story unfold. But Pamela approaches everything in her life with this extreme romanticism. She's in love with the idea of being in love. She'll call herself a self-admitted love addict. She's always on the search for love, and that's in all ways in her life, whether that's through romantic love with her husbands or boyfriends, or whether that's through her familial love with her her parents or kids, whether it's through her philanthropy and her, her love of animals. You know, the cynic would say it's naivete. It's this like rose-tinted glasses way of seeing the world. But Pamela, I can guarantee you, is not a naive woman. Like Pamela has a real core of agency and she has a real edge to her. But I think what's more edgy than not being willing to lose that romanticism and that optimism despite being burned so much, despite being chewed up and spit out so many times by the media or by pop culture, that has been instilled in her since she was a little girl. So she has this line at the end of our film that I love. And again, it challenges those those neat and tidy things where she says, I don't blame anyone for anything. Like she takes complete ownership of her life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's that's kind of what fairy tales are, right? Like, so the love story and the non-capital love story, because Pamela hates capitals and she hates colons. So I guarantee <laughs> you we wouldn't do either of those things was sort of a tip of the hat to her and how she writes and how she how she sees the world. Well, I'll tell you what I see in the title is I see your love story because clearly you have a lot of love for Pamela Anderson. Uh, director Ryan White and producer Jessica Hargrave, thank you so much for talking to me about your film. I loved watching it so much and even more, I love talking to you guys about it. Thanks so much for coming on You Can't Make This Up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. That was fun. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much again to Ryan White and Jessica Hargrave. For more of my takes, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On. Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, films, podcasts, and pop culture. If you like You Can't Make This Up, please rate and review this show and share it with your friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to subscribe to the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. Our music is by Kelly Mack at Netflix Music Lab. You Can't Make This Up as a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>